I feel like by doing it for myself, it is in service to all beings because if I'm a transformed person, if I have a little bit of spaciousness, if I have more patience and kindness and, and compassion and equanimity, then that makes everything that comes into contact with me maybe, maybe be able to be received similarly. And, you know, the, the, the repercussions of that you know, go on and on and on and on and on. Check one, two, one, two. Is this thing working? You're listening to Rabbi Ariel Schollklapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. Welcome. Uh, this is Rabbi Ariel and Rabbi Batsheva Meiri. I'm so excited to be teaching today, to be working together today and learning from uh, Rabbi Meiri. And so, this is the start of a new series that uh, I've been I've, I've had it in my mind for a while. I've always wanted to know the stories of all of the teachers who I've been I've been in orbit of for all these years, and I never really did. And so I figured, why not do it publicly? <laughs> why not do it in a way that um, you know the, the thing that I value can also become a gift to other people? And uh, so for me, I'm excited to hear from Batsheva. Uh, the goal of this is to interview lots of teachers and uh, to teach you new things about Jewish mindfulness that you might not have known, and also to give you new opportunities to learn with teachers who might speak to your heart, your soul, and always give you some kind of hands-on skill for the journey. So just not, not just fluff, we're not just going to talk, we're also going to practice. So if you can, if you, if you feel moved, please share this with other people and uh, register for the for the site uh, for the for the uh, project that Bacheva is working on now if you see this after if she's already recorded and the and that uh, retreat is done then you'll sign up for the next year and the next thing that she's doing um, and so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna practice for a few minutes uh, Bacheva is going to uh, lead us in 10 minutes of practice and then uh, I'll interview her. I'll get to find out what it is that brought her here today, and hopefully we'll also give you some details about this upcoming uh, online retreat for women that she is leading in a few weeks. So, um, Batsheva, I know you from a few years ago when when I started my Jewish mindfulness teacher training formally. And you were also there, but you were uh, you were um, already on the other side of the training, and of that particular training, and then extending your training so that you could continue deepening your ability, to your your knowledge of what what it's like teaching, what it's like teaching on retreat, and so you were teaching the teachers, and I always uh, found it everything you said moving and deep and wise, and so I'm excited to share. Uh, you with everybody else that that is watching today um, and so I, I know that you're in Asheville this you're the, uh, the rabbi of a congregation in Asheville and uh, and I know that before that you did other things with Hartman and uh, yeah that's true right okay so <laughs> and you're you're a powerful teacher and uh, and I'm excited to hear from you today uh, do you want to lead us in practice? Is there anything I missed about your your bio? 
So yeah, let's jump in. If you're at home, now is a good time for you to kind of get your ear earphones out and uh, go to a quiet place and uh, and sit down or lay down, whatever you're comfortable with. And uh, if you're driving, uh, keep your eyes open. <laughs> if you're listening and driving, keep your eyes open. Um, and then maybe listen to this later when you can get a few minutes to yourself. So that's all I've got to say, and we'll jump in. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Rob Ariel. I'm delighted and honored and feel um, on a parallel journey with you. We have a lot to talk about. I hope we'll get to martial arts too. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that yet at all. <laughs> so I wanted to center just this few minutes of practice on the opening pasuk of this week's Parsha because to me it's really rich and um, it's the moment when uh, when God has Pharaoh has sent off the people and the Torah says that God didn't lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, which was nearer for God thought for a moment that if the Israelites encountered war, uh, they would turn back towards Egypt. So the shorter route actually posed certain perils. And so God took them a long way. And, um, and it wasn't because of the actual perils, it was because in facing the danger in, in coming in contact with something that was frightening, the people might feel Mitzrayim rising up in them. And that that is actually the move, I guess, in mindfulness that we're watching for. And that um, in fact, and some of the medieval commentators even you know, go on to say that that's exactly what God was doing, was taking them the long way, giving them some breathing room to cultivate within themselves the qualities that, that led them out of Egypt, that would lead them not out of the Egypt of the land, but out of the Egypt that's inside of us, the small mind, the constriction, the frightened parts of ourselves that uh, are not liberated. And so if we, if we just... Um, bring that home to our own landscape, uh, we're, we're sort of always leaving or have the opportunity to leave whatever meets rhyme. We find ourselves in the conditioned patterns that hold us back from being free, the harmful thoughts, the harmful behaviors, and we so long to leave these places. And, and so in our practice, um, we give ourselves, literally, we give ourselves the uh, breathing room <laughs> to gain some perspective, to, um, to widen our gaze, to broaden the, the constriction and become more spacious. So I invite you to just uh, breathe with me for just a few minutes. And um, so you probably wanna, if you haven't already settled into your seat, to feel the cushion underneath you, to feel the pressure of the floor meeting your bottom or the bottoms of your feet, to allow the channel of energy to go up and down your spine as the crown of your head reaches heavenward. And just find 
your breath in all that rising and falling in the chest, coming in and out of the air through the nostrils, and the expanding and contracting of the ribs. And in finding the breath, maybe find that long route back to yourself. Back to just being with this breath in this moment. And we find if we can focus a little bit narrowly on the breath, that actually all of the busyness of the mind can sometimes fall away. And while we may be focusing on one thing, there's not a whole lot more that's troubling we're meeting us, we can just focus on this breath, on this one step towards liberation. And with each breath, be farther and farther. From Mitzrayim. And as you also focus on the breath, you might also just notice any sensations in the body in general. Maybe even inviting breath to loosen constriction. To invite spaciousness where there might be tightness. I find that it's helpful sometimes to do this, especially on the exhale, the letting go, letting be of the exhale. There's a little taste of freedom in every breath. If we're paying attention.
That was lovely. <laughs> I love I love the the idea of uh it's a little bissel, right? It's just a little bit. A little teeny teeny tiny bit. <laughs> and which is which is the idea? Is the idea is to give people just a tiny bit if you've never had it before. And if you have, then um you probably are or hopefully you're involved in a community of some sort so that you can get this more often than just once in a while. Um I like to take a, I always like to smile when I finish meditating. I feel like it's important. It's an important part of the practice is like, remind yourself to smile. I remember somebody said that in one of our retreats. Mahan has a whole meditation where you have all your organs smiling. It's fantastic if you haven't ever. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember that's the famous story I've heard about Thich Nhat Hanh is that, um, he was teaching people the loving kindness practice. And he said, I invite you to smile when you bring up joy. And somebody said, you can't tell me how to feel. And he said, I didn't tell you how to feel. I'm just telling you what to do. <laughs> you <can smile. laughs> I'm telling you smile how you feel. <laughs> you know, that's up to you, but try feeling sad when smiling. So, <laughs> right. I don't want to smile. Um, <laughs> so I kind of got things out of order because, um, I, I want it, I usually like to start with usually there's no usually this is a second episode but uh but <laughs> but I want to start with a with a prayer and uh, I realized after we started that we hadn't done that and so I want to um I want to take some time just to to say uh how grateful I am to be here today for the time that uh you're giving uh Bacheva for the time that anybody who is spending watching and listening is uh, investing in their own process and that hopefully the words that we say today and the practices we teach can help people feel a greater sense of ease in their life and help them guide through the inevitable challenges of life with a little bit more grace and ease and wisdom so may that be amen. so may that be so yeah amen thank you and so uh q a time yay so now i get to do the question asking about that yeah yeah because i think it has something to do with my my um where mindfulness really sits with me as a yeah. congregational rabbi because i feel like these are the practices you know every rabbi sort of has a a vibration that they're speaking at. And to me, you know, I have people who want me to give social justice sermons and all this stuff. And, you know, I, one of our teachers, Lisa Goldstein, used to say it's like, um, you know, Rebbe Nachman had these like fractals, these bichinot, uh, I think is what the word was. And, you know, and and to speak to change time what your what your prayer was making reminding me of is you know the dedication of practice you know we do this for all beings and you know i feel like by doing it for myself it is in service to all beings because if i'm a transformed person if i have a little bit of spaciousness if i have more patience and kindness and and compassion and equanimity then that makes everything that comes into contact with me maybe maybe be able to be received similarly and you know the 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 repercussions of that 
you know, go on and on and on and on. And on. So I, I love that as a, as a prayer. And I think that it's really essential to the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, that's so, so thank you for saying that. I'm like, I was, uh, struck by your, your, um, way of describing what it is that you're doing in your congregation as part the, as a as a an extension of this right um this seems it seems to me that people who are doing this are doing this everywhere they go right um it doesn't really there's no real bounds to it and that's what i love about it it's it's kind of an inclusive practice where there's really no boundary that it doesn't touch and i'm curious there's a few things about that that made that pop my mind, uh, but one of them is that you know every one of us has our own as as teachers as rabbis we have our own like single message that we're just gonna package up a million different ways, right? So if you didn't notice what my method is by now, and if you didn't notice Pacheva's until now, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler. Um, but I'm curious, like how did you how did you get here? What what I mean, you know, Jewish mindfulness is its own kind of um, going through its own reimagining, I think right now, and is not has not been you know, widespread universal forever and ever. And the way we know that is that when you and I go and encounter people who have been praying in a synagogue for their entire life, um, and then we start teaching or not, right, or not, or they went to Hebrew school or whatever, and they come in and they're like. Um, where was this when I was, you know, where, how come my rabbi never taught me this? Or, you know, where was this? And so I'm curious where you encountered it. And, and, uh, let's start there, I guess. I remember when the first cohort of people, I think it was rabbis, I mean, years ago when my kids were little before I did Hartman. So it must've been like the early two thousands. I got an, a, a flyer from the Institute for Jewish spirituality and I said, I'm going to do that, but not now. <laughs> well, it was like 12 years later. I mean, I, th I or some such whatever. But, but um, I think the short answer to that is that I have a lot, I've had a ton of training that I think is typical of Jews that is like very neck up, very cerebral, very, you know, like the, the you know, it, it, and it's so... I can see why as Jews, we had to retreat to the mind and to the mental gymnastics, which are the beautiful, you know, moves that Talmud makes and, you know, halakha and how we, you know, meander through that. It was very, it's, it's a very powerful thing um, to see why that was so important throughout history and, um, and why we, we took it apart in such great detail and, and how we got that methodology sort of in our bloodstream. But I've always been a heart-centered person. And so there was always a part of me that felt like um, I'm, I'm I, like I wasn't in complete alignment, you know, I, that I, um, that I had, that, that there was something, um, if I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to be a scholar. That wasn't who I am. And so I really, you know, I tried for a long time to make that my thing. And, um, you know, I could, I could do it, but my heart wasn't full in it. It always felt like 
I'm just being intelligent. I'm not necessarily opening hearts and transforming lives. And then I, you know, and then finally, you know, I did Hartman, which was really an exercise in my brains. <laughs> you know, like real, like it hurt more than rabbinical school. You know, not I in mean, a bad way. Yeah. I mean, I've been in Hartman. I've been part of Hartman cohorts, and it's just, I mean, the level of mental cerebral learning is wow. I mean, really, I mean, I still think about things I've learned in those seminars today. So. Yeah. I mean, they, they're really good. They're really good. Oh, it was, listen, it was, it was a, you know, I felt like I won the lottery for, for a rabbi because I did the whole fellowship thing and went every six months and, you know, oh, wow. with David before he died. And, you know, I mean, it was, it, it was huge. I mean, it was huge and formative, but it, it, what it, but we couldn't actually also get together because it was, you know, pluralistic we couldn't get together and do you know avodasha balev you know like it was we couldn't do you know we couldn't worship together in, in a way that we could all you know so there was there was a big part of us that had to kind of get filed at the door and um you know so it, it remained a cerebral exercise and i think right after i came out of that i was so ripe and ready for something and that's when i did the first ijs thing and then i did every ijs thing and then i taught with ijs and then you know and then we have all our teachers who have been such great nurturers and um that kind of thing. So that that's sort of how it evolved. But I think I always, I always, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it just spoke to me on a whole other level of integrating. And um, without knowing really what it is, right? I mean, you couldn't have known from the outside what really richness was to be found in the practice. But something was sort of intriguing to you. You saw I don't know, a poster or a, an email or a something. And it just said, you're like, oh, why not? Huh? Hmm. That sounds like it could hit the spot in a different way. Well, it's, you know, it has, it, it, I mean, it did have the word spirituality in it. And so I said, you know, I, I think that was the, that was just the word that was the hook, but I don't think I could have known the personal transformative and and that's really where you know where it all starts is that when you see how the practice is already starting to change you or liberate you or soften you and and help you see more clearly and and then people start to notice that that about you and then everything about life confirms that something is opening and loosening and deepening about you you know it just has a momentum all on its own and I think that that's that's not because I'm a rabbi that's just because I took the practice seriously and, and was doing it and um and that was the that was sort of how it you know and then it becomes a a, a renewing a renewing commitment um and that just keeps building on itself um so can I take a detour a little bit back into martial yeah. arts. So one of the things I remember, <laughs> so one of the things I remember when meeting you and it was that you're a, you're a black belt in some several degrees. Is that correct? <laughs> I, I do have, uh, I earned my third degree black belt in Taekwondo 
Um, but I have been retired for a couple of years because I have a shoulder thing that was getting aggravated by a lot of the moves. But yeah, I was sure. I I practiced for about twelve years. So so tell me um, in in uh, is there have you ever done any thinking about uh, like how the martial art training is similar in many ways to this kind of field? And can you, do you have any reflections on that? To me, it's a, to me, a martial arts practice. First of all, anytime I was ever on the mat, I was a hundred percent there. There was nowhere else I could be. Or if I wasn't there, it was obvious because I wouldn't be doing what I needed to be doing. So it was, it was very much a mindful movement practice because, you know, you knew if you were there or distracted or not there. Um, you know, so it's about showing up and showing up and showing up. Um, the the discipline of it, the coming to it regularly over and over and over again has lots of crossover to mindfulness practice. But I think the biggest thing for me is that, you know, martial arts was just as much of a mirror to me of my sort of general progress or stuckness in life as mindfulness is it was just a different way of illuminating you know what was really up for me you know like if i was bored in in taekwondo that that bored was a thing i needed to contend with you know if i was if i was moving forward and things were flowing that meant that there was flow you know happening so in that way to me it was always sort of that that mirror and you know to a certain extent you know it's 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 also the same kind of a thing I mean I had the unique um blessing of being really part of a also a community of practice you know it wasn't just a dojang it was really a community and you know so there was a lot of that sort of communal support which is similar I think to you know pure mindfulness circles where you know, like you and I sit every Wednesday and, you know, that's our, that's mm-hmm. our circle. And certainly in Buddhism, there's that. And, you know, we have that in our, you know, God, Torah, Israel, <laughs> Trinity. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think that there was also, um, for me, a very important role of community that was, that was happening there too. Yeah, I hope everybody has a community. If you don't have one, there are communities available. It's just a matter of us connecting you with them and making it regular. Like you said, I think part of uh, what I've recognized, I've only been training a few years in jiu-jitsu. It's almost three years now. And it's you got to be there. you got to show up there a few days a week, right? And um, you can't – and if you have a bad day and, you know, you're (laughs) – a little bit too extra aggressive you know that might come back to you (laughs) you know especially in the community uh, of people so it's kind of like you have to understand that this is you know it's a long game and you have to be careful and you have to be uh pay attention and you have to um honor people and respect people and so i see the same thing in the meditation world as well it's interesting the the dailiness of it for me was also like um it's almost the commitment that i've made to myself to myself because nobody else is 
expecting me to practice meditation every day. Nobody else forces me to go to the academy every day, you know, just, or if I'm injured or if I'm not feeling so great, I can't tell you how many times I've cried on those mats, not because of an injury, but because of emotion, because of frustration, but because of whatever I'm going on, what's going on with me off, off of the mats that can't, I can't help but follow me onto the mats. And in the same way with meditation, there are times when I'm sitting in meditation and I find myself crying and it's a good, it could be a really good cry that I needed to have for a while um, that I've been avoiding. But when I pause and sit down, I have the space, spaciousness, right? That's what you talked about in the beginning. I can come out of that narrow or I can recognize, wow, I'm so tight right now. I'm so constricted. I can feel my body is tight. I can feel my shoulders. I can feel my hips, whatever, wherever you feel it, right? Okay, do I really need to hold on that tight right now? So um, so tell me, why did you start teaching? What was, the, what was the transfer? I know you're a rabbi, so maybe it was just natural that way, but I think that there, for, for many people, I've, I've seen that people have like a, tra- there's a transfer moment or it's like, you know, it's not really a moment. It's many moments, but there's like, I'm doing this and I'm learning this as a skill for me, for my life. That thing, that's most of us start there. I don't think I, I didn't start with like, oh, I'm going to go teach this. I was just in need of something and I went and learned it. So tell me about the transition from learning it to teaching it and sharing it and what that was like for you. Um, I think for me, I mean, I definitely went into the Jewish meditation teacher training, not thinking I was going to become a retreat teacher on national retreats or, you know, I, I just thought about what I wanted to do with mindfulness in the synagogue setting and, you know, to share that. And part of that was because, you know, there was a transformation that was going on in me. I wanted to offer that to my congregants. I wanted to have a, have that manifest and available to them as a whole new track in synagogue engagement. So that, so there was a part of it that was just sort of localized to my temple. But then, you know, I started to like really love, you know, I love our teachers. And when they were inviting me (laughs) to be near them, I was just like, absolutely, whatever I can do to be near you and learn from you. And so it's always been about that. For me, it really hasn't been about, um, like, I can't, you know, eventually there'll be a next generation, you know, that, you know, there's, there's generations that have to hold that mantle, but I still feel like a student, you know, I, I, I do. And I hold myself that way. And, um, and like, you know, you and I are, are in practice groups. I'm always practicing. And if that may, and I know that that'll make me a better teacher when I have the opportunities to teach, but, you know, um, I think that it's, um, I think that's, you know, it's not really, it wasn't really like I had a sight on being a a meditation teacher. It's more so I love the practice. I want to make it available to other people and I get to be with these teachers and this is the way. Yeah taking a program or teaching alongside them in a program or 
However I can get it is good. Whatever. Get me in the space with those teachers. Yeah. Whatever happens there, I'll be learning. I'll be teaching maybe, but a lot of practicing. Even when you're teaching, there's a lot of practice to be done. It's much more teaching than practice. I'm sorry, much more practicing than teaching even when we're teaching. Yeah. So either way, it's you end up getting a ton of practice, which is great. Well, and any time you're doing anything, you're confronting whatever your stuff is. You know, like even before, you know, I, I got a little anxious, you know, I get anxious before I have to do things. And so even before this, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? Is it going to come out? You know, and that's my stuff. Like, like that's like just meeting that and, and hold, you know, if I'm able to hold that and say, okay, well, there's that, like Jeff says, habit energy, you know, hello, little habit energy. Actually, I think Thich Nhat, he got that from Thich Nhat Hanh, but hello, my little habit energy. And that's practice, even though the action that I'm doing is teaching and just, you know, hold myself with humility and, you know, vulnerability, that that's actually so instructive and so you know it's less about actually having the exact right words than to just be real and um you know and just just to show up with whatever is 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 and 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 that that's kind of a different measure and maybe in mindfulness we're able to to do that because it's a context that is trying to just um, be with what is, <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's the goal of it versus, you know, in other forms, in other moments in life where, you know, you have to be very skillful or very, you know, um, clear in your words. And, you know, I mean, obviously all of those things are, are good when they, can happen and get all put together around in mindfulness. But, um, but I think I, but I think that, uh, if you can, if, if you can bring, you know, if you can, every time you tap into what's true for you is, a, you know, a reinforcement of that muscle that, you know, it will be there when you have to tap into it, you know, like, and that, that comes, over time yeah absolutely so uh tell me about this new initiative the the women's retreat i know you did it last year and uh we, we heard from rebecca that it was actually on like one of the saddest days of the year <laughs> or within the, that range of like of tisha b'av which is this holiday that we're in the summer generally where we commemorate the destruction of um of the, the temple, the Jewish temple that was in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. And uh, it's a, it's a day of mourning. And, and this time this year is going to be on what seems to me to be one of the flip sides of the holiday of the calendar, which is Purim uh, or not Purim, but Adar, the month of joy. So t tell me, tell me a little bit about that. And, and, uh, and what this, tell me a little more about the retreat itself, because I'm, I'm curious to, to know. So it's going to be a Thursday through Sunday retreat over um, Rosh Chodesh Adar, or the celebration of the, the new month of Adar, and um, just a short women 
students identified, people who identify as women, um, retreat to, you know, to invite that quality into our practice, into our lives, because it's the seasonal quality that's that's being invited in the Jewish calendar, being the month of uh, of Purim, which is a joyous month. So. Um, and, and it was kind and it is intentional because, you know, the very first one that we did was all about, you know, acknowledging and being with deep grief. And that was particularly timely because it was in July or August and, and we were all really deeply grieving what the pandemic had been taking away from us. And it was the first sort of online you know, retreats that people were starting to take and get getting into a new reality. And there was a lot to, you know, integrate in terms of grief. And now, you know, we're in this different moment in the Jewish calendar. We're in a different year. We're in a, you know, maybe hopefully a, a, a new world. And um, the Jewish calendar is sort of inviting us to invite these other qualities. And, and to a certain extent, that that's sort of you know what Judaism is. You know, that's the rhythm of uh, we're just we're just kind of falling into what the what the Jewish calendar's rhythms are. But we're going to celebrate Rosh Chodesh. We're going to explore the idea of cultivating joy and um, making sure that you know we have a, an appropriate relationship with joy, one that's you know where we're able to savor and. Um, we're also going to be focusing on on some themes around Rosh Chodesh and newness and the relationship between um, the new month and the new and newness within us and not necessarily falling into old patterns and that, you know, sometimes just disrupting, you know, declaring that we don't know or disrupting, you know, our patterns is a is a route for joy to enter um, into our field of consciousness. And, um, so it's going to be playful, you know, who knows what's going to actually manifest, but those are some of the conversations as staff that we're, that we're mudgering around and then it's gonna, you know, it's gonna <laughs> unfold as it does, which will yeah. be sort of dependent on whoever shows up and what, what we do, but yeah, yeah, but it'll be a, it'll be a typical retreat with silence and walking and talks and, you know, all the regular stuff. We'll have Shabbat, which, and it's Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, which is, you know, um, especially joyful. So we've got, got a lot of ingredients that will magically put together and, and it and it always comes oh, out. So then, this, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. The connection between women and Rosh Chodesh, so it's there's, there's a, a lot there's there. A... Yeah, there's a ton there. It's very rich. I think that uh, if you if you have been practicing for a while and really want to deepen and find out what's possible, and this sounds to you like something that is uh, could work for you, right? Just could, right? You have an, you have a, a feeling you're attracted to it, so come on down and try and and see because there's really there's uh, without experiencing it you and i could never explain to somebody quite what 
the practice does. And the thing that I, I always tell myself before I'm getting nervous to teach or especially on retreat when I get extra, extra nervous is, okay, Ariel, um, just let them do the practice because that does it. Because <laughs> like, just get out of the way. Hmm? Dylan Weinberg says, let the retreat, don't do the retreat, let the retreat do you. Let the yes. retreat do you. And it, it's that same thing. It's, it just, it'll work no matter what what we're doing. But I think that there is something, you know, that, first of all, it's it's great for people who are beginners. It's online, which means you can sort of titrate, you know, how much sitting practice you want to do and how intense you want to make it. So there's a lot of you know, ability to make it as deep or as introductory as you wish um, with plenty of instruction and everything else. You know, those bigger themes are going to kind of weave their way in, but the practice is the practice is the practice. And, you know, sustained practice is always, is always its own, you know, success. It does it its own thing. Yeah, there's no goal beyond and the practice takes you right that's my experience and good skillful thoughtful teacher teaching is to me like kind of uh like somebody who's guiding you on the mountain you've they know the they know all the passes they've been up and down it and you don't so they'll they'll care for you on the way and it's really very important to have that kind of uh, support through uh, something that can be really a tender and joyous and spiritual and connecting process. So I know we only have a minute or so left. Um, the only last thing I want to say, though, yeah. um, which also so special to me about the teaching team, since you mentioned it, is, you know, Rebecca belongs to sort of a young generation and I belong to sort of a middle generation and Sheila belongs to our, you know, wise generation. And so, you know, the, the guiding I think is so, you know, we just cover a lot of, of territory in terms of who we are and what we bring and what our journeys have been in the practice. And so I, I'm super excited about that team and and what we what we get to offer together in that to, to the people who have been journeying up the mountain with us. multi-generational single gender uh time uh and to, uh, an opportunity to to ha- to cultivate a safe space with only your gender i think is really important and um and so I'm excited to support. I'm sorry. I'm hope I'm hopeful that our time together will bring more people to the to retreat, and uh, and that uh, that will also bring more good into the world. Do you uh, do you have a prayer? I, I I kind of give you an opportunity to leave us with a prayer. I didn't warn you, forewarn you. I liked her to be spontaneous. Um, but if you have a prayer for our time or, or for that uh, that you want to share. I'll talk another minute or so until you can gather yourself and then uh, give you okay. that opportunity. Well, um, I'll just tap in. May all who have come to this teaching space and learning space be opened. May 
you know the next steps on the path of your journey and you share that journey of liberation with all you come into contact with may it leave this world a better place for all beings amen To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk, R-A-B-B-I-S-H-O-L-K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to RavAriel.com. That's www.ravariel.com. Take our free trial do the self-learn path or try group coaching or even come apply to work with me one-on-one and you'll give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step path that you need to feel calmer more mindful and happier with your life so come on down www.ravariel.com see you there